Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Breaking Point Podcast UK. Today we're here with Tanya, is it Mawaha? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, perfect. And Tanya is a motivational speaker on mental health, suicide prevention, lots of different things. You're involved in lots of things and you're clearly doing very well for yourself and for the cause. So I suppose let's start the podcast off with the cliche question of how did you end up in the position that you're in that you ended up in? I know it's annoying, but it does help me and I think it helps the viewers <laughs> as well. I think. Yeah, no worries. Well Bersie, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, good questions or good question. Um so where to start? I guess my journey that brought me here started when ever since I was a child, so as far as I can remember. Um, I've always struggled with my mental health but not realised that it was actually mental health difficulty. So when I was growing up as a child, I just remember always being called like very sensitive, very dramatic, someone who just feels a lot all the time. And I guess I just internalised the narrative of maybe this is something I'll grow out of eventually. Um, and, you know, once I build my confidence, and I, you know, that's just something that I'll be able to overcome. But Obviously, in reality, what I was showing that I know now in hindsight was signs of childhood anxiety. And it was only when I was 13 years old where my mental health started to really deteriorate. And that's when things started to get more serious. So when I was 13 years old, I was dealing with a lot of bereavement within my family. We lost four family members within the space of six years. And that really impacted my mental health. Um, And that's when I started to experience suicidal ideation. And that resulted in my first suicide attempt at 13 years old. And for me, that really sparked a, you know, pivotal moment in my mental health journey and my life journey. And that's really what's brought me here because eventually after I was 13 years old, I continued to struggle with the suicidal ideation and also started to struggle with my physical health. I developed chronic pain and chronic fatigue. When I was 15, I was eventually diagnosed with anxiety and depression. When I was 19, I was eventually diagnosed for the physical health conditions, which are fibromyalgia, which is a chronic pain condition, and Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder. And that's when I decided that I don't know what my future looks like, but one thing I know for sure is that these mental health difficulties and physical health difficulties are something that's going to stay with me. So how can I use these experiences in a positive way to hopefully help others? And that's just spiraled into all the work that I'm doing now and, and the reason why we're having this conversation today. Yeah, definitely. That's incredible that's an incredibly concise answer. I like it. Tell everyone what it is that you are doing today so that they know what you're up to. Yeah, lots of different things. Mm. Um so it's a bit of a difficult question to explain. But when I was on this journey, I founded Championing Youth Minds, which is a youth-led community that focuses on educating and empowering young people to take care of their mental well-being. So a lot of the part of my work is facilitating that community, creating resources, working with schools and universities. Um, I go into schools and I deliver talks around mental health, around disability, around suicide to raise awareness work with different charities and organisations to provide them with consultancy around what a young person might experience when it comes to their mental health in this day and age, or even from a diversity and inclusion lens around cultural competency of the experiences. So I am very often sharing my story on stage, 
Um, I do run workshops and facilitate discussions around topics like like mental health, suicide prevention. Um, so I do kind of independent training courses. And then I've also been involved in lots of different initiatives and lots of different work with different charities. I think one of the biggest ones has been the Battle of Hope UK, which was the UK's largest suicide prevention initiative. And it was an incredible experience we toured 12 cities in 12 days last year to raise awareness and spark the conversation around suicide prevention so got my feet dipped in lots of different things but you know it all comes together for the biggest main cause which is raising awareness and being able to hopefully use my experiences in a way to make positive change yes so that so you you do all this as like your daily thing that you do on a daily basis this is your job no <laughs> no, no tell- um, my day job is actually in, in the, my day job is in strategy and communications consulting so i have a normal corporate nine-to-five job as well wow that's amazing do, do does the uh do they sort of link in in terms of uh enlightening one another or in sort of is there a, does the fact that you yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, good question. I think sometimes, so within my day job, I do work on well-being or diet and inclusion projects for um, clients. So sometimes there is a link between mental well-being. So I try to make them link as much as possible, but also sometimes it's nice to, you know, in between nine to five, do something completely different. And then once I log off, get into the things that I'm truly passionate about. I, I saw something about university. Did you have difficult time at university yeah so I started university in 2019 um so I had you know one full time of university before COVID hit and for me that was you know for everyone actually that was something that was just completely unexpected and I had still been struggling with my mental health but my mental health just got so much worse when COVID happened because before you know it we were all sent home studying from a computer screen um, trying to navigate this like new world that we were living in, a lot of uncertainty. And yeah. for me, that just led to such a big decline in my mental health. And that was actually my most recent suicide attempt was when um, kind of during the COVID lockdown. And that's also the, the period of time which kickstarted a lot of the work that I do now um, when I was recovering from that suicide attempt. So I think, yeah, COVID, I, I do sometimes wonder, you know, if COVID hadn't happened, what would have happened? But uh, it really shaped my experience of university, but also the path that I'm on now. Why do you think you decided to take go down the path of helping others and using your own experiences to improve the lives of others? What do you think? Do you think that was... Where did that come from? I think it came from a place of I've... I know what it feels like to be at rock bottom, to feel like you're alone, to feel like you have no support and there's no way out. And I don't want other people to feel like that. And I think it came from a place of wanting to make those mental health challenges slightly more easier for people who might be dealing with those because there is support out there and thing, you know, things do get better, as cliche as that sounds. But I remember when being in the, that point of my life, no matter what someone says to me, I don't really trust it. And I think 
especially because I come from a community where we don't talk about mental health, mental health is very stigmatized. And just in general, as well within our society, there's so many reasons why we just don't talk about mental health enough that I feel like me being one person sharing one experience of one story will hopefully resonate with at least some people and hopefully make them feel like they're not alone. So I think it was almost like I felt like I've been handed these experiences for a reason and there's such a kind of beautiful thing that I can try to make out of these. So so why wouldn't I? Very good. And obviously you're fortunate enough to have the mental capacity within you to put these things into action and to distill, I suppose, because, you know, trying to distill our emotions into practical words can be quite difficult a lot of the time. And to and then to go a step beyond that to turn it into advice that is computable by other people is even more of a challenge. So you've been you're fortunate enough that you that you've worked at it and you've been able to do that. So that's really good. So why do this is another cliche question? But what, why do you? Th- oh, I'm frozen. Okay, why do you think young people struggle with their mental health nowadays? If they're more than they used to, I think. Good question. I think I get this. I get asked this a lot, and I think I always say is that I can't tell you for sure that young people are struggling a lot more than perhaps other generations did. That's an answer I don't think any of us will really know. I think the difference is is that our generation of younger people are engaging in conversation around mental health and wanting to speak up if they are struggling and seek support, which is an amazing thing. And I think also what we're seeing is a lot of the times individuals from the older generations who might have struggled with their mental health but not had the language, the education or the awareness to understand that that was mental health difficulties and that there was what they could have seeked for for it. Um, But again, going back to the question around young people, I think, you know, COVID just was such a difficult time for so many of us, like going to school, going to university, growing up having your really important fundamental developmental years during a period of time where the world was in lockdown and no one knew what the future was going to look like was an extremely I think anxiety inducing time for a lot of people and I think what we're still dealing with especially as a young person myself and when I speak to other young people is almost a hangover from COVID we're trying to integrate back into this normal world and trying to figure out how to navigate ourselves in a society where you know there's we have a cost of living crisis there's wars going on there is just so much constantly being thrown at us 24 7 we can't escape it um so i just think you know it's just very overwhelming life is at a million miles per hour so i think there's so many different factors that impact young people's mental health but i think the key difference about our generation is that we want to talk about it we want to seek support and we want to use these experiences to to make change yeah do you think that there's a threshold where things become like a sort of social contagion and what do you think is the borderline between a little bit of learning resilience as opposed to bottling things up and how do you think because I, because what a saying that is tossed around a lot is, oh well, they what they're going through is difficult as well, and I completely get that. But I've always thought 
if I've broken my little finger and someone else has broken their leg, they need more care than me. And that's not because I'm being, it's not insensitive to say to the person who's broken their finger that they need, the other person needs more care. It actually helps them because it means that they, they're able to correctly calibrate their perception of difficulty so that they don't find themselves flailing around on the floor when they've got a little cut or, you know, vice versa to some degree. If they have got a broken leg, they're not just trying to walk up and get an, or, you know, it's a crude example, but you know what I mean. So I suppose embedded in that right at the beginning was, did you, have you found sort of ways of working out, I need to talk to someone about how I'm feeling now? as opposed to this is a sign that this is something that I can deal with and I'll become stronger as a result, as a result of working it through myself. Do you sort of get what I mean? Yeah, good question. I think it's about striking the balance between validation of your experiences and also understanding that in context. And And by that, what I mean is for example, when I speak to young people about mental health, I don't speak to them about mental ill health, I speak to them about mental health. And I think one thing that I find really difficult is that in society we talk about, people use the term mental health to describe mental ill health, when in reality they're two different things. And I think to instill resilience in especially our young people and in individuals, we need to be talking to them about mental health, not mental ill health. Because we all have mental health and there are, it's inevitable that there are going to be situations in our life that impact our mental health, whether that's going through exams, having a breakup, dealing with a bereavement, just having a really rubbish day. And in those instances, what you need is resilience, like everyday resilience to overcome those, those natural ups and downs of life. And then mental ill health is when you might be experiencing more persistent and severe experiences of things like low mood or anxiety and that is a different place where then you need to seek more professional support so i'm not sure if it's the the answer you were looking for but i think in my mind it, no, no, no. resilience needs to be instilled but we need to be te- talking about it in the right way as well that allows for people to understand where what but like, what fits where basically yeah Completely. It's like an, an analogy that just came to mind is it would be good if everyone had a suit of armor around them and then they were also protected by bodyguards in the sense of the, in the sense of society being the bodyguards and the suit of armor being your own personal defense mechanisms, etc. You could just have people walking around with bodyguards, but then you, you would, you, people would become metaphorically too reliant upon the macro structures surrounding them but developing your own bodyguard is a really helpful thing to do yes so what was i going to say oh yeah because this is i don't know if you find this interesting but there's new sort of research and things that have come out and it says when we focus on ourselves basically there's no difference between self consciousness and anxiety so when people are focused on themselves they become more anxious in the sense of imagine you were because you know that's basically what stage fright is 
or freezing on stage, it's you suddenly become aware of you and then you start thinking about, you know, everything that you're doing and everything, all your sort of bodily processes and mental thought patterns. And the antidote to that is to put your attention onto some, or I suppose your, your scene partner or put your attention externally. And I think anxieties like that as well, a lot of the time we get triggered by, by something either external or internal. And then we just like cut to ourselves and suddenly become incredibly engrossed in what we're doing. And actually a lot of, I reckon something that would help out people that are anxious a lot is engagement in things external to ourselves, which is, which is what you're doing to be fair. So I'd imagine as a sort of caveat question is, do you find what you're doing helpful For myself or for others or for both? For yourself. For yourself. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I think actually like where I am with my own mental health journey right now, what really helps me is being in the space where I can find ways to support myself, understand my own behaviours, thoughts and feelings a lot better. And I'm very fortunate that I've been able to have exposure to you know, other incredible individuals who have their own strategies and coping mechanisms and also working alongside healthcare professionals who are able to offer their insights. So I think for me, a lot of it has just been learning and reframing narratives in my own mind to support and strengthen my own mental health. And I do naturally have periods of time where my mental health is is bad and it's not within my capacity to really support myself and that's when I seek things like therapy or speaking to a GP however most of the time on a regular basis it's more like like you said building that armor and really building my own resilience and understanding myself better and I think when I think in the context of our younger generation I think we need to be able to provide spaces and opportunities for young people to be able to do that to be able to learn explore themselves build that resilience because if you think about it when you're at school in a six hour day there is no really opportunity that you get to focus inward um you're always focused on you know whatever subject you're doing whatever you need to get done you don't really get the time for yourself yes it's 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 just another example of how sort of complicated human existence is is what i just said is about putting your attention externally which is important but what is also important is placing your attention positively internally as well because i suppose that's what meditation is isn't it it's it's a, it's a positively yeah. uh, directioned internal practice but there are obviously negatively project negatively uh directed internal practices as well which would be like engagement and obsessive thought and things like that and so it's it's like yes it's a dichotomy anyway um what i was gonna ask something it's so annoying that happens a lot because i keep on talking (laughs) so what have you learned about Thank you. What have you learned about young people while speaking to them? 
that maybe shocked you or learned about the infrastructure that surrounds them that positives and negatives of that I think I'll begin with the negatives and then move on to the positives. I think if I think about the negatives, it's just that a lot of the experiences that young people are having, specifically even younger young people, like I'm talking from the ages of like seven, eight onwards, um, are actually really, you know, upsetting to hear, specifically those who are really struggling with their mental health and consequently not being able to get the support that they need. And that's just, you know, dependent on our on our healthcare infrastructure, you know, all the details of that. So I think those types of things that I've learned have been really upsetting. And also understanding some of the experiences that young people are having with places and platforms like social media and how those are negatively impacting their mental health and how little education they feel like, or useful education, should I say, that they feel like they receive in schools that is able to help them navigate platforms on social media or just the interactions that they might be having out, out, outside of school or inside of school. But then if I move towards the positives, I think one of the things I've realized and I've learned is that young people have so much more self-awareness than you would think. I think when, you, when you're like, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, people often underestimate you because you're a child uh, in their eyes. But I think the level of self-awareness, the level of just... Um, kind of when I see young people taking a moment and you know doing that self-reflection and being able to communicate what it is that they're experiencing or what it is they're feeling or any reflections that they've had after you know we've done a session or we've had a discussion has always positively surprised me because there is so much knowledge in just the experiences that young people have had till date that I think there's so much value that they can offer not just themselves but each other and then I think also is that young people really want more spaces and opportunities to share their experiences, to, you know, have these discussions and invest into their own self-awareness, their own resilience and their own mental well-being. And I, I'm always fascinated when I meet young people who are finding ways to do that even within, um, you know, a very structured day at school, for example. So whether that's taking initiatives to their teachers um, becoming a, a well-being ambassador within their school or taking to social media and you know trying to facilitate those more open conversations I think there's so much that young people want to do they just need to be given the opportunities to be able to do some of those wow that's a hell of an answer so you bring up I just want to go back to when you said self-awareness it just maybe it's just got me thinking because I, as you did, I suffered from a lot of anxiety growing up, but I don't ever, I, I don't really remember framing it through the lens of mental well-being. I all, I just remember it just being me, or just just that's how it was. So I feel like even in ten years, a twelve-year-old, thirteen-year-old, nowadays the the landscape. And the environment is completely different to what it was 10 years ago. And I suppose that kind of does beg the question, is the notion of self-awareness as equally detrimental as it is beneficial to young people in the sense that how... Because, you know, the old sort of uh, archaic, behavior of 
children should be uh, seen but not heard. Or in words of their sort of, they become like, uh, uh, what's the word? They, you know, do as they're told and things like that, and they don't have much uh, capacity to act on their own whim, etc. Do you think that, well, I sometimes wonder, because I've also worked in schools, that the the degree to which we give young people so much autonomy I wonder if maybe that can sometimes be detrimental in the sense of they can become overwhelmed without realizing it. But then at the same time, it's good that they feel like they have more control over their lives. So maybe you have to take the rough with the smooth and just sort of go with it. I don't know. What do you think? Interesting question. I think going back to the first part of your question around like, self-awareness being a double-edged sword i think everything can be a double-edged sword everything can have, yeah. be beneficial but potentially detrimental to a degree I, I remember someone saying to me that i'm too self-aware too self-aware for my own good um yeah. and i think by that what they mean is that when you when you're anxious and you're self-aware you're a bit too self-aware because you're yes observing your own thoughts your own literally feeling, yeah and you can get into a cycle of just yeah, literally just like regurgitating the same thing over and over again. And I agree with that. And I think that's where these things need to come with support, like a support safety net. And I think, for example, thinking about young people in schools and giving them that autonomy and those spaces that I mentioned before to explore, be more aware and learn about themselves. I think that those spaces need to come with support from teachers, adults, you know, external organisation to can almost ground those young people because I think sometimes what it is yeah. is that the more you, the more you get, the more you get aware, the more you can almost be swayed and taken into a different direction. So I think having an anchor point is really important, and I think it's about getting a balance right, getting a balance between those educational sessions and those ed- that educational aspect of it that's delivered by other people. And also facilitating some of those those spaces, but I think it also really just depends on individual to individual. Because like I've said that for me, being too self aware can be an issue. But I know for some people, feeling like they're self aware is also a really tough thing and a tough journey for them to embark on. Yes, and there's a there's a psychological and maybe a religious sort of uh, reference to that. In the sense, I think it was maybe Jung or Freud, or some it might not have been either of them, but someone said that uh, the answer to sort of life difficulties is awareness, but that in itself brings about more difficulties. Maybe it wasn't life difficulties, but it was something to do with when you become aware, you increase how much input you take on, and that increases obviously the amount of negative input as well as positive input, possibly. And what a lot of people do, well, the answer to that increased awareness isn't to revert back to your previous state. It's to double down, so to speak, on your awareness and to keep going down, which is why a lot of people, when they try and explore the term enlightenment, it doesn't mean to follow your bliss. It means to go where you least want to go. That's what Jung, that's what Carl Jung said. Mm. Um, I think it's one of the most... It's the quote that I have on my 
blog website because I think it's such an incredible quote and it sort of underpins, I, for me, it underpins mental health and the cure to mental or the treatment for mental health. It's that which we most need will be found where we least want to look. And it's basically a, it's a positive remark in the sense that what we're afraid of behind the thing we're most afraid of is something of value and the even more positive uh, sort of assertion is that you're capable of facing that thing that you're most afraid of. And I think that that's really a commendable idea. So big up, Carl Jung. Right, let's talk about what you're up to. Obviously, in terms of a little bit, so how did you... I know we have already spoken about it, but what is championing championing youth minds? And talk about the tour, whichever organization that was, because that sounds really cool. Yeah, so I'll start with um, championing youth minds. So that's an online community. We've grown to around 900 young people now globally. And it's wow. really one of those spaces where young people can share their experiences, create content or create resources and channel their experiences in whichever way that they wish to um to educate and empower other young people to take care of their mental well-being so we've done workshops free workshops for young people but also for parents and carers we've created and delivered resources to schools we've worked with other national and local organizations to support them on their strategy and delivery for um support for children and young people across the uk and through that, you know, it, it organically ended up going beyond the UK when I started to have, um, you know, young people from America, from Egypt, from India, kind of across the globe reach out. And they were like, you know, even though the context in which you're talking about this is in the UK, but there's so many aspects of this that resonate with us. So we've started to have content created by individuals who come from different regions and, and have different experiences in that sense. So that's kind of championing youth minds and then if I move to the tour which was with the baton of hope so with the baton of hope what we did was we came up with the concept of a physical baton so it looks like a lot of people think it looks like the olympic torch which it, it quite it kind of does and what it is in essence is a symbol of hope a symbol that represents mental health because we know that we have like trophies we have the olympic torch that represent physical health but we don't have anything that symbolizes mental health and for us it was really about how do we talk about things like mental ill health and how do we talk about suicide prevention but also show the hope behind that so show the hope behind those individuals who are doing amazing work towards suicide prevention the organizations the charities that are doing work towards this and how do we engage every single person into the conversation around suicide prevention so whether that's businesses, communities, organisations, individuals, policy makers. So that was our aim and that's why we decided to take on the UK geographically as a whole. So we chose 12 cities and we visited 12 cities in 12 days. And each city, awesome. we had an itinerary for the day. So what we almost, we, we basically toured this, the city in a day carrying the baton and the baton was passed from person to person and each person who carried the baton and passed it on to another person had either been impacted by suicide either through bereavement or perhaps they were a suicide survivor or has 
been impacted by that through someone else. So for them, it was, you know, an, a, an opportunity for them to walk with that symbol of hope. And we visited lots of different places. So we visited a lot of cultural kind of landmarks of those cities. We went to universities, we went to different workplaces. We um, had music, we had food, we had, it was almost like a, a celebration at the same time as really talking about this serious topic and remembering those who might have lost their lives to suicide and those who have been impacted by suicide. And after the 12 days, we eventually were in London and we ended the tour at 10 Downing Street where we met the wow. um, health minister. And what we really wanted to do was so cool. take to them everything that we had experienced in the last 12 days and you know show them that suicide prevention needs to be a priority for our government and needs to be a priority for them and for everyone moving forward so that was the most incredible 12 days of my life <laughs> very very moving you know met tens of thousands of people with their own stories and their own reasons there was so much that i yeah. learned during that experience and also connecting with with all those people and now we're you know we're 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 a charity, so we're planning our conference in May, and we're planning another tour for 2025. So, keep or keep you posted That's on that. Cool. That must have been such a good experience. Did people like know that you were in the cities? Did you get like people coming to see you and stuff? Yeah. So we um. So what we did was we had 12 project leads. So each project lead managed their city, and in yeah. essence, what they did was uh, it was months of planning. It took us a year to plan this entire thing. And what they were doing was, you know, making people aware of what day we're going to be in the city. At what time are we going to be at what exact point? How can they join us? Where can they walk with us to? We had the local councils involved. Um, we had, you know, marshals who were able to you know, guide crowds of people. Um, wow. So it was very much a very calculated, logistically structured um, tour event. And it was just incredible to see also people who didn't know who we were and just stopping us and saying, you know, what is that? Is that the Olympic torch? And that just naturally started the conversation around. Yeah, that just naturally engaged people in the conversation around suicide prevention, which they probably usually wouldn't, you know, just engage in with someone walking down the street if they're going to the shop, for example. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a textbook sort of festival-esque collaborative collaboration event that brings people together and yeah that's really cool mm -hmm. so what was it like talking to did you get to speak to the health minister or minister of health whatever it is yes yes we did yeah yeah so that that leads me on to another question which is what do you think what are there what are the how can society help young people with their mental health and then how can young people help young people with their mental health? Mm -hmm. Good question. I think to begin with, how can society help young people with their mental health? I think the easiest thing you can do is just validate young people's experiences um, and try to have that empathy and compassion towards the difficulties that they might be experiencing. I think oftentimes it's hard when you know, if you're from a different generation or if you're you haven't experienced what school going to school is like in, you know, in twenty twenty four or you haven't experienced being part of the COVID generation who are at, in education at the time, it can be quite hard to grasp the challenges or the difficulties or experiences that young people might be facing. You know, if you're if you're not on social media or you're on a different side of social media, it can be hard to understand. So I think first and foremost it's empathy, compassion and 
validation of young people's experiences. I think secondly, one thing I would love to see is as a society, we're just more aware and can confidently signpost people to the services, the support and the resources that are out there for young people. So whether you're an educational professional, a healthcare professional, a parent or carer, or a brother or sister or a family member, or you're just, you know, anyone, whether you have contact with a young person on a day-to-day basis, you are aware or you feel that you can confidently signpost a young person to resources and services that they might need if they're struggling with their mental health, whether that's even telling someone to see their GP as a first point of call. I think that would be great. And that would just be a great almost safety net as a whole in society that we know that there are places to go and how to tell young people where they can seek support. And then I think thirdly, when it comes to how society can support young people, I think I'd go back to giving them spaces and opportunities to talk about mental health, whether that's at school, you're bringing in an external speaker who can share about their mental health journey, whether you're integrating in mental health into your PSHE lessons whether when you have a PE lesson, you're not just talking about physical health, you're talking about the impact exercise can have on your mental health, integrating it into lots of different things in in easy and simple ways, I think is great to build that awareness and familiarity with mental health as a concept. And then I think also providing those spaces, so whether that's in lesson time for discussion, whether it's an after school club where young people can talk about certain Mm -hmm. topics or just providing them with opportunities outside of school so they can just you know learn develop and and understand that for themselves because one thing I experienced when I was struggling was the only places I could go was social media and google and I can tell you there's not you know good information it wasn't a pleasant experience can I just say so I think facilitating those spaces and opportunities is a healthier way and a safer way for young people to engage in that discourse rather than going to places like social media and Google all the time. No, sorry, I just think um, I remember that there was a second part to a question about how young people can support other young people when it comes to their mental health. And so I'll, I'll answer that whilst I remember. So I think the you know, it kind of is, is very similar. But I think as a young person, how you can support yourself or support others is once again goes back to empathy, compassion and validation. Even if it's just having empathy and compassion towards your own experiences, I think um, empathy is another skill that I think our generation is is trying to build and learn. And I think empathy and resilience go hand in hand. Um, I was actually working with and well, speaking, uh, recording a session with an organisation called Empathy Week, which actually go, you know, deliver these sessions to schools for free, um, where it's all about building the skill of empathy. And I think we were talking about just how empathy kind of is the backbone to everything. And it's another skill that, you know, will help young people kind of get through the natural trials and tribulations of life. So I think that's the first step. I think the second step would be is understanding once again where you can seek support. So familiarizing yourself with some of the resources, different people you can go to in your life. You know, if if you can't go to a family member, could you go to a teacher? If you can't go to a teacher, could you go to a healthcare professional? I think just understanding that there are options out there when it comes to seeking support. And I think lastly, what I would say is leverage those those opportunities that you can you can find I think we're fortunate that we live in a generation where it's almost easier to get your voice heard to uh, at the moment because we have things like social media which 
when you use it in a positive way, it can reach and positively impact so many people. And it doesn't really require anything to get started. You know, you can share your experiences, post it, that's done. Um, you can connect with so many other people which have similar experiences. And I think also because we're speaking a lot more about mental health, there's more space and opportunity for you to have your experiences and voices heard. So I think similar concepts for both kind of questions, but slightly different in practice. Yeah, absolutely. And you're very right on the importance of empathy, empathy with yourself and empathy with others as well, which is absolutely key. Right. Final question, because I want you to have an evening and I appreciate you speaking to me. Um, So it's called the Breaking Point podcast because I'm interested in, you may have already touched on it, but I think well, you probably have, but maybe even a a positive moment actually, because people often give me negative moments. Was there ever a moment or, you know, you can pick one if there's been multiple where you had a eureka moment of positive impact in the sense of, Maybe you were, because we're often taught that we learn more from our mistakes and our downfalls than we do from our successes. But can you think of a moment where you sort of looked around and went, wow, yeah, I've I've configured this correctly mentally and psychologically and I feel good and I can take this with me going forward to enrich my life? Yeah, I think I think the one which comes to mind is when we were at 10 Downing Street at the last... Yeah. Well, we were actually walking to 10 Downing Street on the last day of the Battle yeah. of Hope tour. And I think at that point, we were so tired. I was probably delirious at that point, just absolutely yeah, exhausted. And I just remember looking around and thinking, who would have thought that I would be here on a random... I, I think it was a I Wednesday know, right? or something. Like, well, what am I doing here on a random Wednesday? Yeah. Um, but it, for me, it was just a reflection point where I just thought about not just everything that had happened in the last 12 days and not just everything that had happened in the year leading up to the planning of this, but everything that's happened since I was a child that's led me to this point. And I just thought, if you told 13-year-old me that people would want to listen to my story or even think that it's worth being told I wouldn't have believed you uh if if you told 13 year old me that there was support out there and I would make it to 22 I wouldn't have believed you so for me that was just a a really beautiful reflection point and a moment of I think pride but also a moment of building momentum to move forward because you know when you have those moments you you not you don't just look back but you look forward and think so you know there are endless possibilities of how much more I can do so I think that's definitely a a special moment for me